You're listening to Up to the Mic. If you want to learn about the struggles and triumphs of starting a business, performing for sold-out arenas, or inspiring those you lead, Up to the Mic is the show for you. Throw on some headphones and get ready to listen as our host, Vinny Hale, sits down to showcase the stories of those who deserve their stories be told. From young entrepreneurs to critically acclaimed musicians and so much more, Vinny helps compile a season of interviews that inspire listeners to follow in the footsteps of his guest. Welcome back to another episode of Up to the Mic. If you are loving the show, please do us a favor by subscribing to the podcast on your favorite platform. Leave us a quick rating and review. goes a long way in helping produce more great episodes like this one. Now, for today, we have a special guest joining us all the way from London, England. My next guest is the founder and CEO of Shiagetto Consulting, where he helps businesses set sharper strategies by providing innovative, emotionally intelligent facilitation, training, and speaking to improve IQ, EQ, and FQ. In addition to his role as Chief Effective Officer, he also provides his followers with a glimpse into his personal life on his blog, which you can find on Medium. Please welcome my next guest, Ferris Aranke. Ferris, thanks for being here today. Hey, Vinny, thanks for having me. Um, it's a real pleasure to be uh, on the show today, and uh, Up to the Mic is uh, a fantastic podcast, so glad to be here. Well, I appreciate it. We are happy to have you on. I'm glad we were able to get this on the calendar for us. I want to dive into everything about your business, your background yeah. from consulting that you did previously before jumping into your own firm and really yeah. the way that you kind of drive the business with the mm -hmm. IQ, EQ and FQ model. But before we yeah. jump into everything, like I yeah. start every episode, I like to get down to the person that the listeners are listening to. And so start off with just telling us a little bit about your background. Um, where you're from, what your life was like growing up, and kind of a little bit of how you grew into who you are right now, and then we'll dive okay. into the business stuff. Okay, it's like a therapy session, but I love it, Vinny. <laughs> uh, let's go. So I am. I'm talking to you today from London, England, um, and that's where I grew up. Uh, you know, born and raised uh, in the UK. Uh, my parents are both uh, from Palestine. They were sort of uh, came to the UK many years ago. Uh, displaced uh, by the uh, by the war out there but uh, hey gave us a f great opportunity I'm one of uh, four kids uh, grew up uh, um, and uh, you know my school days like anyone else's school days but uh, it was a great sort of uh, learning curve and uh, and um, you know before you between school and university I guess is where I came to to blossom first you know I had the fantastic opportunity of spending a year abroad uh, and I went straight uh, for uh, something that was completely different to my lifestyle in the UK. I went and spent a year living in a little village in the mountains of Nepal, uh, where I was teaching English and doing development work. And I guess that kind of created the first spark in me uh, for uh, for doing something different and uh, really focusing on working with people and, and getting the best out of them. Um, so uh, beyond that my, was my uh, college days, my university days. Uh, and then after that, I became a school teacher, Vinny. Um, I guess inspired by my time abroad, I became an international school teacher. So I taught around the world. I taught my degree, which was maths and economics. Uh, and then sort of a bit later than other people, I leaped into the business world uh, and I joined an energy company, uh, Vinny. So I learned all about the energy market and and uh, I got really attracted to the strategy side of things, solving complex problems in the energy sector. And from there, I joined a consulting firm and spent 12 years as a strategy consultant solving complex problems for big organizations around the world. 
Uh, and uh, three and a half years ago, I had the courage to set up my own firm. So uh, there's a real potted history. Happy to dive into any part. Uh, but uh, hey, like I say, yeah, we can talk about uh, all aspects. I love it. No, I think one thing that might be beneficial is for the listeners that I have, a lot of them come a little bit younger business background, yeah. just starting. As you talk about your university days, one of the main things that I see the listeners tend to struggle with when they leave me comments and questions, it's in relation to figuring out what they're striving to be, what their passion is, what it is that they're going to try and stake their claim in. You mentioned how you started off by going to be a school teacher and teaching in your specialty. I guess yeah. one was the passion for mathematics and economics always there. And then yeah. two, what made you kind of go into the teaching realm and then eventually years later transition into the role of business? I guess maybe provide some clarity for how a listener might be able to make that determination for themselves. Yeah, and it, it's it's hard to know what you should do and and uh, and really see, have that clarity from a young age. You know, I still I joke that I still don't really have that clarity. But uh, look, I was greatly inspired by my dad in particular, who had multiple careers. And I guess when I got to university, my initial inroads is I did math and economics. Um, I'd never studied economics before. I did math because I was good at it. Uh, so I went with one thing that I was good at and one that was a new adventure. Um, and do you know what happened? I hated the math and I loved the economics. Uh, um, and I guess that's what happens sometimes. Uh, but for me, you know, university was about discovering stuff. I got immersed in a whole ra wide range of stuff, both academic and non-academic, you know, sports teams, social aspects. I actually ended up really holding a variety of uh, student uh, body positions, you know, and it culminated with being elected uh, to uh, be a student president for a year. So I was paid, uh, you know, to be a president after I finished my degree. Now, that was fantastic. Right. And I, I got involved in so many things. Didn't realize at the time that all these experiences would be so beneficial. But I was still learning, really. I still didn't know. And why did I go into being a teacher? It wasn't for any passion of teaching, really. Uh, the market for jobs was pretty, pretty uh, poor when I left university. So I just um, I thought, do you know what? I've always wanted to go and live in Latin America. How can I make that happen? Right. And I was like. You know, I've got a degree. I know I can teach because I did that on my year out. Let's see if I can go around and uh, and sell myself to schools in Latin America. Will they, one of them take me? And lo and behold, I got an offer from a school that said, "Hey, come and teach your degree here." And uh, that's how I became a teacher. Right? It wasn't it wasn't necessarily a burning ambition to be a teacher, but I loved it. Right? And it was five years of teaching because once you've done it once somewhere and you've got a good reference, you can go on somewhere else. Um, so. But then I came to the realization that I had done that as and it served its purpose. So I was then, what's next? And that's when I moved into the business world. So there you go. A bit of my history. I was just going to say for your listeners, it's okay not to know, right? But go out and explore and try stuff and, and see how it, you know, the feedback loops that you get. That's great advice that I tend to hear frequently when I bring that question up to someone like yourself. It's that it's okay not to know immediately, especially while you're young. A lot of people get into a rush, myself included, and trying to figure everything out from the start when it's okay to go through some different phases and figure things out along the way. One question that I have that's a little bit of a kind of a side note for myself. Yeah. So I work as a consultant as well uh, here in the U.S. When I first started out my career, it was pre-pandemic. And so yeah. in person, a lot of times the travel would be leave Monday morning, go to wherever in the country that the client was, work for three to, three to four days in their office, travel back on Thursday evening, and maybe work from home or work from your home office on Friday. 
The dynamic has shifted and changed. If you can't tell, I'm in my home office at my desk currently, and that's pretty much where I'm at every day. I, I hardly travel occasionally. I get the chance to move around, but I'm curious for someone like yourself that was in the world of consulting for so long prior to the pandemic, was the travel similar or was the aspect similar for you when you were working on these big clients? And then what was, I guess, the draw for you to go into a life of travel? You mentioned how you wanted to go off on teaching and you wanted to go um, and try all these different things. But then with the actual consulting realm, you're doing something different every single week, it seems like, or every few weeks. Is that something you enjoyed? Was that something that uh, maybe came as a struggle for you? No, I, I absolutely enjoyed that. Right, I'm a kind of I'm the kind of person who loves variety, uh, loves learning new stuff, loves doing stuff. So that's really being a big driver. If you if you kind of chart all the different things I've done in life, it's it's a lot of it is driven by that. So that was massively appealing about consulting. Um, for other people, it's the it's the quick acceleration, it's the quick learning, it's the 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 you know the money, the status. Um, but it did come at a toll, right? It came at a price. I, what you described to your listeners was exactly what I did for 12 years, you know, uh, all before the pandemic. It was the 543 model, we'd call it, right? You'd, you'd, you'd spend five days a week on a client for a client. Four days of that would be in person. Three days would be away, uh, three nights away from home. So for years, I would get on a plane on a Monday morning, travel around Europe and not come back till a Thursday or Friday. Um, and it's not great. It, for some aspects of your life, like your personal life and those sort of things. And I guess I made that trade, but I, often you just forget and you just, when you're in it so long, you just assume that's what life is. And, you know, I, it, I tell people it was really funny when I set up my own company, Vinny, and walked away from it. The first week I was like, what do I do with myself? It's a Tuesday. I'm at home. I haven't been at home on a Tuesday in over 12 years. Like, you know, all my friends had forgotten about me. I rang some up and I said, what are you guys doing tonight? And he was like, why do you care? You're never here. And I'm like, I am now. Um, so it, it's about adapting. And it's funny how you can get so used to it and just accept it as the norm. Um, and that's that's a worry in life when stuff becomes like that. Um, but yeah, it is a different world now. Well, speaking of the different world that it is, one of the things that they've started to do, because for those of you that aren't in the consulting world, the bill for the travel for all the consultants is typically footed by the client themselves. And so to save on cost and because people can now realize that people can work remotely and still do a good job and get the job accomplished, they've started to, if they require someone in the office, they'll fly us out early, early, early on like a Tuesday morning. We'll have a full day in the office. We'll be in the office by 8.30 or 9 a.m., on a Tuesday morning, we'll work a full day. We'll stay one night on Tuesday. We'll be, be a full day in their office on Wednesday and then take the last flight home on Wednesday night. So they only pay for one flight or two flights in one night, but they get two full days of work from us in their office. So they've started to gain the system slightly. Uh, yeah, years, years of payback, Vinny. Eh, eh, uh... <laughs> um... Well, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just going to say now nowadays, so I still travel nowadays. I run my own business and I'll, I'll, t- I'll tell the listeners a bit more about my business in a minute. But uh, I set myself rules when it comes to it. So forget what the client says, but I set myself rules. It's much more relaxed. Um, and uh, I always take an extra day uh, if I've never been to that city or that, that place at least uh, to explore. Um, so it's less rushing, but I, I do a different kind of consulting nowadays. So I can, I can do that. But uh, it, it's funny how you can actually take pleasure from something that for years was just a, 
was just a function. Uh, just get me there as quickly as possible. Understood. Well, let's transition into that. I think it's a perfect time. Tell the listeners a little bit about your business, what you do, what you specialize in. And yeah. one question I'm specifically interested in is after making such a huge jump to starting your own firm, how do you initially gain the clientele that you got right off the bat? I know it's a huge jump from going steady paycheck to starting my own company and diving in head first. Um, we can go into that later, maybe start with kind of an overview of what. Yeah, let's start like. with an overview of the company. So um, uh, my company, as you said, is called Shigeto Consulting and Shigeto is the Japanese word for a sharpening stone because that's what we do for companies. We sharpen them. Uh, we make them more effective because uh, we all get a little blunt from time to time. How do we do that? You, you mentioned the equation that we use and the pillars that we have, uh, Vinny, which is all about um, if to be successful in life, you need to have a clear uh, vision. You need to have a clear, wh what are you aiming for? What's the problem you're trying to solve? Once you've got that, you need to bring the uh, three elements, the right level of IQ. So are you, have you got the best ideas, the best solutions to tackle that problem? If not, we can help you with that. The next, have you got enough EQ? Have you got the ability to take others with you on the journey? Okay, because a great idea, and this is the world I used to come from, is just a great idea on a piece of paper. It's just a piece of paper. If you cannot sell it to people and cannot get them to see it, get inspired by it, you're not going to do anything. And, and I spent 12 years that developing great strategies that went nowhere because people didn't buy into them. Um, and then the third part is you need FQ, focus quotient. Right? And many of your listeners might not have heard of focus quotient. But if you're not focused enough to deliver that, uh, on your idea, again, it's going to fail. And that's that's a big problem I see in companies. Often on the strategic level, they're trying to do too much at the same time. So the biggest thing I can do to help them is strip away and say, what are the three priorities you should be working on? What is going to be the biggest bang to solve the problem that you've told me is the most pressing problem in your business or where you want to end up? So IQ, EQ, FQ, we help with all three pillars. And that's what my business is about today. So me and my team, we go into companies, we facilitate, we galvanize, we get people to really buy into ideas, make sure they're focused, make sure there's the right quality of ideas. So it's either facilitation or training. And that's why it's much more relaxed. Is there a typical type of clientele or, or niche that you work in? Or do you see this problem spread across a wide variety of organizations? I see this problem in every organization. So that's the, that's the beauty. Um, we work with large corporates, you know, I can reel off a bunch of names, the likes of Amazon, the likes of uh, Mars, the likes of uh, Anglo-American, Fevertree, Heineken, they're all clients. Um, but we also work with a whole bunch of startups which have different challenges, uh, but they're all people orientated. They're all, hey, I'm not getting the best out of my team. This team isn't working well together. For some reason, we can't land this this strategy. Um, so, um, yeah, we, you know, these problems persist everywhere. Um, so it's great for me and my business. It's great to help. And what I love about working with big and small companies, you can take an idea from one and try it in the other arena and say, look, it really works here. How about we try it here? Um, and so uh, we're constantly on the lookout for better ways of doing things and better ways of getting teams working better together. Well, one thing I'm curious about is the actual conception of the idea for the consulting business. So as opposed yeah. to transitioning out of strategy like you were initially and just yeah. doing something extremely similar and going into more strategy consulting, you kind of put your own twist on it. When did the idea first come to be? And then how did you actually make the leap into doing it? Yeah, so uh, I, I had a sort of growing sense that there was there was something there um, from the fact I, I told you I spent 12 years 
And what I discovered during that, and NVIDIA, you're a consultant, so you know, you put in a lot of hours to develop your work, right? And I'd go and present it in the final boardroom, and I was fascinated that 90% of the time they didn't they didn't do anything with it. You know, you just presented a you know a hundred page report saying you should do this. It's very clear, and they'd look at it and they go no, right? And they would do that not because it was a bad idea, because you you, you knew your research, your analysis was good. It was because they either didn't understand it, but like you know they they weren't in a safe environment to say look I don't understand this, or there was politics in the boardroom. Right. You know, the person who sponsors it, what didn't get on with the CFO or something. So it was never going to never going to fly or they were just doing too many other things already. So they didn't even have the bandwidth. Right. So I became fascinated by this and I became uh, really intrigued because I'd invested a lot of my life in doing it to unpick these problems and realized I was very good at it. And I got to the point that I was so good at it. The company I was at would just send me in to clients I'd never worked on. And they'd say, Faris, can you just go and work your magic? You're just good with groups of people and I was like but I don't know anything about the topic and they're like just go and do it and I realized that this more and more that was my true skill that I could take a group of people who all had different views and get them all to to buy into that one idea and that's when I had the aha moment of hey maybe there's a business here but you know what Vinny I didn't actually make the leap until I started working with a great career coach and she really challenged me about what I wanted for the next step in my career um and she got me to really reflect on what elements of my job I liked and what I didn't and then when I saw a black and white on a piece of paper I was like there's a job there that I should be doing All right let's build a company around it and that's what inspired me to make the leap is a career coach something that you and obviously you had a good experience with it yeah one I'm assuming it's something you'd recommend to people would it be something you recommend to people early on or, or just starting out in their career as to something that can help them get the initial push in the right direction? Or is it something that is typically reserved for later down the line when you're trying to pivot from what you initially started in? I think you're never too too young or too early to start with a career coach. And it doesn't have to be a formal career coach. What does, a, what does any coach do? They ask you the right questions and hold you accountable to answer them. So it could be a good mate, a good buddy, a good friend, uh, but someone you trust who asks you those questions. The key is being held to answer them because we all have the questions. Oh, what should I do next? Or, you know, should I do this? But then we go, oh, we get distracted by something else. and We never actually answer it or we don't really, really challenge ourselves. So th um, so that's what a good coach does. Um, it is invaluable because it is very hard to read your own label or, or really challenge yourself fully. Um, as even if you're the greatest, you know, and I always found it funny because this is what I do with companies. So to have somebody come and help me, I was like, well, surely I can do it myself. But you can't. You can't read your own label. Um, right. Um, so, um, it, yeah, it could be a professional coach. It could just be a close friend. But somebody who does ask you those questions and hangs around to hear the answers is very valuable. I like that. You can't read your own label. I think that's probably something I struggle with myself that. I feel like I can answer a lot of the questions for myself because I do it for other people, but yep. I have to bring it back to reality sometimes and have that second opinion and outsider's opinion to really level you sometimes to get to where you actually want to be. Yeah, and that, that's a big part of EQ, right? Self-awareness, self-management. Sometimes saying, I can't be the hero of every story. Right? I cannot simply, that it's just impossible. So you know what? Let's surround myself by other heroes who will help me fill in the gaps. Well, as we talk about, you know, EQ, IQ, and FQ, yeah, 
if a listener were to take what you just spoke on and try yeah. to transition it from applying to a large organization or a large or small organization and bring that to their personal life, yeah. what are some ways you'd recommend maybe implementing those theories into just daily life? Oh, I mean, I've got I've got a uh, hundred and one uh, uh, suggestions for each pillar, but uh, let's start with IQ, right? Um, do you have enough good quality ideas? How creative are you? When whatever your problem, whatever you're trying to, you, you're trying to achieve in life, right? IQ for me is can you come up with a hundred ways to do it, right? And then pick the best option. Okay, that's all that strategy is. Have a destination, work out all the ways you can get there. Pick the best one based on your criteria or, or constraints. But you need to generate all those ideas because too many people just come up with one idea and go, I'll do that. Right. So anything in your personal life, let's say it's I want to I want to get, you know, I want to lose weight. Right. Come up with all the ideas and it could be anything from, I'll, you know, go to a gym, I'll hire a PT, but it could be something wacky. Right. Uh, you know, I'll uh, I'll walk everywhere from now on. I'll spend a whole yeah, or I'll I'll buy a pogo stick and pogo all right, or I'll. I'll help. I'll, I'll do the shopping for all my neighbors for a week, right? Because that will force me, right? How many ideas can you come up with? That's the IQ side, right? And most people tell me, hey, I'm not a creative person. I, I, they can't help. Creativity can be trained. I have got loads of techniques. I help people improve how they come up with ideas and stress test them. So number one, improve your IQ in your own personal life. Generate more ideas, okay? Um, number two, EQ. How can you improve your EQ in your personal life, right? Learn to listen more. Learn to flex your style, right? Don't follow the golden rule in life, which is treat others how I want to be treated. Follow the platinum rule, which is treat others how they want to be treated, right? Now, that the only way to achieve that is by talking to more people and finding out what they like and then being able to flex your own stuff. So what do I mean by that? If people like, if, if you know the person opposite you likes you to start with small talk, even if you don't like small talk, start a conversation with small talk. It'll make them feel more at ease, okay? If the person opposite you loves looking at spreadsheets to land an idea, and you, even if you hate it, walk into the room with lots of data, okay? Whatever, however you want to get someone on board, learn what their style they like, and you switch to it. Don't expect them to switch to your style. And then uh, in terms of FQ, can you limit your distractions, right? And the biggest one is, are you? can you be at any one point in time, whatever you're doing, say, what is the most important thing I should be doing right now? Okay, that if you can prioritize stuff, that is the biggest thing, right? Forget about muting your phone and 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 those kind of small distractions. Too many of us just work on stuff because it's in front of us, not because it's going to be the biggest impact in solving the biggest problem in our life. Um, often we actually put those off for other reasons, emotional reasons. We're, we're afraid and stuff. But ha just having that clarity on these are the top three things I should be working on today or I should be achieving in this conversation, or I should be getting out of this email, is super important to making sure you've got high FQ. That really drives the point home for me personally, because I think literally just yesterday, I'm someone who struggles with, I stay very busy, but I don't necessarily always stay very productive. Um, I like to think I'm a very productive person, but at the core of it, uh, I'm always on the move. I'm always doing this task and switching to this and trying to multitask. But I learned about a theory yesterday, very similar to what you just spoke on and really interconnected. I think they made the most sense to me is that, you know, I'm going to sit down today and I'm going to focus on the three or four most important things that are going to help me tomorrow. 
So I'm going to get those three or four things done. And then what I was listening about yesterday is dependent on your ways of working. So are you a morning person? Are you a night owl, et cetera? Um, I'm someone who's specifically a morning person. After three or four in the afternoon, my concentration and focus levels tend to go down pretty substantially. Um, so that's when I save a lot of my administra administrative mindless task for. Whereas in the beginning of the day, that's where I do the core of what's going to make me think throughout the day. So as we record this podcast, it is currently 529 a.m. here in Texas where I'm located. And so yeah. this is one of the most important things I'm doing today. I woke up, I prepared for it. After this, I've got three other things on my list that I'm going to try and get through before 9 a.m. when I have my first consulting meeting. And so at that point, it's my day's already started, but I've accomplished all of the hardest things I need to do today, with the exception of personally my exercise. My run will happen later today, particularly yeah. after a quick nap. Uh, <laughs> but the point I bring this up is to say that I can make the connection between what you're speaking to and the ability to prioritize what's most important to you, because that's what's going to get you to where you want to be in the long run. And so I think it's valuable for the listeners to really drive that point home on pick what's going to pick as opposed to having a long list of laundry list of items to go through, pick three or four every day that this is what I have to get done. And these are the highest priority and then run with those. To totally. And I love that. And A, I'm honored that I'm one of your top four things to do today, uh, or this podcast is Vinny. And B, you're bonkers getting up that early, but uh, you know, it, uh, you're right. If you know yourself and you're a morning person, then play to your strengths. Um, and, you know, I love I love that, right? And and I always say to people, think bigger, right? Uh, you know, I'll tell you a great story about a little company here in the UK, who um, they are a energy company. They sell energy, and uh, they looked at the call center. So every energy company has a call center. So if you have a problem, you ring in the call center, you speak to an agent, say, look, my electricity is not working, or my bill's too high. And they looked at this and they said, look, typically the ratios in the industry of how many people you have uh on the phone to how many customers is one to 500 okay if you have 500 customers you get one agent to, to to so they can bring in and they said um okay so we can we can do that but all we can think bigger how about we eliminate all those calls so we don't have those 500 people calling in then we need less agents right uh, so they looked at the agent role as super important so instead of just paying minimum wage and getting somebody in to answer the phones and deal with customer complaints they and which is like twenty thousand dollar salary they hired someone at two hundred thousand dollar salary who was a program a computer programmer and when he received his first phone call and he heard the complaint what did he do he went in and changed the code in the in the system so that complaint never happened again right and you know what the calls went down and down so they started making more and more of a profit because they looked at the problem bigger and that's where i say the iq comes in Generate more ideas because it's very easy to just look around you and say, what are everyone else doing? I'll copy that. But they stick back and they went, no, we're going to, we're going to tackle this completely different. Right. And they do that with everything now and they run one of the leanest operations. So they, they have one agent to 10,000 customers, not one to 500 like their competitors because they just looked at the problem differently. Right. So I always say go bigger and then really focus and deliver on it. That's why you need the IQ, the, the FQ and the EQ is they had to convince their bosses this was the right thing to do because it sounded wacky, right? Why should we pay 10 times the salary when we don't need to? That's super helpful. I think I am personally world's worst about coming up with some 
whether it be a business venture or blog idea or new book I want to read and not really thinking through it prior to jumping into it. I, I get the one idea and I, I go for it. You know, I fail fast, which is a good thing, but I also fail frequently because I'm going in and I'm starting something and then I realize, no, this isn't really what I thought it was or this isn't what I was really expecting it to be. And then I stop and I jump and I try something else. Um, there's a few constants in my life, running, podcasting, my actual day job, those things I've been able to stick with wholeheartedly and they really are the driving force behind me. But there's other ventures that I like to pursue that, you know, guitar is a good example. So I'm not extremely musically inclined. I picked up the guitar. I got obsessed for, you know, four or five months and then I just kind of lost interest after a while. So I got as good as I needed to be to play a few songs and then I just kind of like didn't pursue it any further or started a new book, realized I didn't like it that much and just dropped it right then and there as opposed to finishing it and seeing what it might have came to be in the later chapters. So I think that speaks slightly to your point of figure it all out or not necessarily figure it all out, but give yourself options from the beginning. That way you have more of a clear understanding when you jump into it and you're less surprised down the road. Now, there could still be circumstances that come up. I'm not saying there wouldn't, but yeah. I think that kind of draws a good connection there between figuring it out at the beginning or trying to as best you can and then saving yourself effort, probably more effort down the line. Yeah, yeah, def definitely. And if you've got all those ideas at the beginning, if, it, if something does go wrong down the line, you've still got 99 other ideas you can substitute it with. Whereas if you've only picked the first one, then you you get more stressed and you and you you're like, what do I do now? Exactly, exactly. Well, okay. One thing that I would do, I kind of want to transition a little bit here. Yeah. You spoke earlier about how great you were in a room with clients and how a lot of times yeah. your you know employer would tell you, hey, will you please go lead this meeting because of the fact that you had that connection with your clients? Maybe speak a little bit about. To our listeners that might not be the best at effective communication or public yeah. speaking in general, what are some ways to grow in that skill? What are some ways that you saw yourself grow in that skill? Was it something that always came natural to you? Did you have yeah. to evolve into who that? You know, no, no. I mean, I, I I had to evolve. My dad always says it comes natural because he he was a public speaker. He was a broadcaster on the radio, so he was like, "Oh, you take off to me, son." But it, no, I had to, I had to learn those skills. And actually, this is where I'm immensely grateful for my five years in the classroom because. What is teaching, if you break it down? It is selling ideas to a range of different people who all sat in the same room, right? Uh, so I always talk about, I taught two subjects, right? Economics, which was great because it was an elective. So all the kids who picked it had chosen it and wanted to be in the classroom and they, they were generally bought into it and smart and, and thing. But math, math was the opposite. Every kid out there has to learn math, right? And some love it, some hate it, some find it easy, some find it difficult, but you have to be able to get through to all of them. So five years of standing in front of 11-year-olds who didn't get it, I had to learn how to flex, twist, watch the reaction when I said something. Did they get it? Did they not get it? So I became really good at reading the room, as I call it. Like, is what I'm saying going in? And if not, changing. Because there's no point just keep saying the same thing over and over and over again if the kid in front of you hasn't got it. So I'd have to find a different way to say it and then a different way and a different way. And that skill to read and then flex and keep trying and in the same conversation is basically what I do today. You know, why I was so good, why I could be sent into any room with people I've never met before. Because I'd try something, which was my natural style, see if it resonated. If not, I'd quickly switch, right? So when you say, can people develop the skills? Yeah, of course you can, right? Try it with your friends. 
try having exactly the same conversation in a different way and see the reaction. You know, when I first started my company, I every week would create a one minute video where I'd explain what the company did in a completely different way from the video the week before. And I'd test it on my mum and dad to see which one they really understood because they, they didn't really understand the concept of the business. I was like, right. And it also the great thing is it gave me each week a new way to explain it. One week I'd explain it like I'm a PT. One week I'd explain it I'm like a doctor, right? I'd use different metaphors, different analogies. Um, so yeah, all of us can practice how we communicate in different ways, particularly with those that we're closest with because they'll give us the most honest feedback. Well, I'm curious, you say those closest to you will give you the most honest feedback. And sometimes I feel like it would be the opposite. I almost <laughs> feel like those closest to you would be the ones that would want to spare your feelings if they had some tough criticism for you. But. Well, uh, well, you obviously hey, you don't know my sister, but no, I, you know, I'll, I'll tell you a story. Vinny. The first time, have you ever been a best man for a wedding or, uh, or similar, had to give a big speech? You know, yes. I the first time I was a best man was for my brother, actually. And I wrote this speech that I thought was hilarious. Okay, and my sister said, come on, you know, tell it to me. And I was like, no, no, it's great. You'll hear it on the day. But she finally wore me down. So I said it to her, you know, in the dress rehearsal. We got to the end and she went, that's not funny. That's not funny. You think that's funny? That, w that was terrible. That was the, and I went, really? And I went away. I was quite hurt. But, you know, when I, when I reflected on it, it was like, oh, she was probably right. That was an in-joke. I didn't really explain that one. And then I, and so then I changed it. And then I went to test it on my parents. And my dad was like, I don't get it. I don't get it. And I realized it was like, aimed at younger people. So it was really valuable to get the feedback from the people who were closest to me because they didn't, yeah, while they cared about my feelings, they were just, they were also comfortable enough to say, I don't get it, right? Or you're not funny, Faris. Uh, so, so I, and I, from that, I learned a valuable experience, right? Share more, test more. Um, uh, yeah. And, and sometimes it's with strangers and sometimes it's uh, with those who are closest, but just get that feedback loop and learn that skill yourself. That's fair. I see the point there, and it makes a lot of sense. I think yeah. any criticism is good criticism if you're able to receive it in the right way. And so I'm someone who tries not to get my feelings hurt when I ask people for criticism or if they just give it themselves. Um, take everything with a grain of salt, as they like to say, and yeah. really use it to be you know, the best person you can be. Yeah. I mean, to be successful in life, you have to be able to accept feedback. Uh, so, so early on in your life, find a way to generate more feedback it's a bit like they say everyone in their life should learn how to sell something because selling is about a lot of rejections a lot of feedback but uh, one of the best experiences for me even though it was painful at the time is if i go back to those university days Vinny, i ended up being a student president that i mentioned now to get the position of president i had to go on the election trail right so i had to go at one point i knocked on over 500 people's doors students and asked them if they'd vote for me. And 500 people invited me in for a coffee and told me to my face what they thought of me. And many of them, I didn't even know. And I'd say not all of it was pleasant, but I had to sit there over a cup of coffee while they told me, I think you're an arrogant, I don't like your face, I don't like, you know. And whether it was justified or not, I got very used to accepting feedback, live feedback, um, which was felt terrible at the time, but is so powerful because life is about adapting and evolving and you can only do that by getting feedback so actually i now actively seek feedback and i love it there you go i think for some of our younger listeners out there who might still be involved in or even some that are in university or college days if you're an athlete i think growing up i played sports 
And one of the things that they commonly preach to us was be coachable. Don't be someone that is so quick to dismiss the feedback provided by your coach that you're just going to ruin the rest of your day or the rest of your practice or the rest of your game because you couldn't take the feedback that is probably going to help you in the long run if you think about it. And so being coachable is something that you can apply to every aspect of your life. Don't necessarily just be coachable if you're an athlete. Be coachable in your work, in your daily job. Be coachable in your relationship when your partner gives you feedback, you know, when they tell you they don't like something, when you tell them they don't like something and you get their response to it. People give you feedback in a lot of different ways, not solely in the way that they speak to you or the words that they give you, but a lot of times in their body language, in the way they react to things that you say. So take feedback as a whole and use it to, you know, propel yourself, change things, adapt things, work on getting better every single day because of, you know, if you don't, a lot of times being stagnant is, or being complacent is one of the things that, like you spoke to earlier, for some people, maybe it's great for others. It could be the worst thing in the world. And I think both of I or both you and I share the same sentiment of the sense that I need something different every few weeks. So that's why my Mm -hmm. job is such a good fit for me because every four to, you know, eight weeks, my job is changing. I've got multiple clients that I'm working on simultaneously. It's not the same thing I sit down and look at every day. Um, So I kind of went off on a long divergent way there of saying that I agree with what you say about being able to receive feedback, but I also urge the listeners to go in and look for feedback in ways that you might not typically. It's not always in what people tell you when you ask for it. It's the way that they react to things when you, when you say something. Yeah. And that's spot on. Right. And that's also about reading the room. You know, not everyone is, is, particularly in some cultures as direct and honest to your face other cultures they're very honest and actually in 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 certain cultures the biggest feedback is them ignoring you or not replying to your email that is feedback as well right obviously don't jump to conclusions something might have happened to them but actually uh there are there are lots of things to be drawn from not hearing from somebody as much as hearing from somebody definitely well i want to ask one or two more questions about yeah. the business itself. And then maybe we can close out with just some thoughts of your own. Um, yeah. But I am curious. I want to jump back to yeah. the early days of the business. Mm. What was it like getting those initial clients? Because as someone who, you know, I hear from people all the time about, Oh, I'm thinking about starting my own venture branching out from what I currently do. It's a big step for people. And so yeah. obviously you had an established career Were yeah. you able to, kind of step into a business that you had already built on the side or was it just kind of jumping into it fresh and saying, here I am, let's go get clients. And then how'd you approach that? Yeah, it was, it was completely fresh. So it was close one chapter of my life, start the next. Um, and, uh, I'm a strategist. So I spent like I time boxed it. This is the F focus part. I was like, right, you've got a month to think through your business plan, build all the components you need. But then you've got to get out in the street and start knocking on doors, you know, but that's figuratively, not not literally. Um, and that's how you get business. Right? Unless you're incredibly lucky uh, or you, you know, and somebody just turns up and gives you work. You have to if you're running your own business, you have to put yourself out there. And that can mean different things to different people. You know, so my early days, I was testing different ways of getting myself out there. I just said cold emails. I would uh, just ring people up. I would go to conferences and try and meet more people. I would um, 
go for paid advertising. I would just do uh, uh, mar uh, blogs and vlogs and um, stuff like that until I found the combination that worked for me. OK, it took some time. And even now I'm still refining that. But what I and, and what I say what works for you is because you have to do this a lot, it cannot be something that you look at and go, oh, I can't be bothered or it takes your energy. It's got to be stuff you, you you get excited about and you would do anyway, because you're going to of every 100 doors you knock on, 90 are going to be thanks, but no thanks. And they might be polite, but there's a lot of rejection along the way. So doing something that A, takes you energy and then robs you of even more energy when you get a no is going to be really tough. So um, for me, what the combination was is my, is networking my own network. So because the great thing about 20 years of being in industry is I know a lot of people because I'm a networker. So I, I walked away and I had 10,000 connections on LinkedIn, okay, which is now about 15,000. So what I do every day is I re-network that. I send 25 to 30 voice notes to my connections on LinkedIn uh, saying, hey, it's been a while. How about we grab a coffee or something to that effect? And it's really powerful. It really works, right? Of those, if I send 25 a day, 20 people respond to me. Of those 20, you know, I'll generate 15 coffees. If I have 10 coffees, I find a piece of work, a new client. But I just keep that engine going. And I supplement it with, blogs and podcasts and things um, because that's a great way of staying connected with my clients. But it is it is that right. But I love that. I love connecting with people. I do that every day. And if I stopped, then my business would fall over eventually. Um, but for this where I am now, that's what the engine of growth. I like that a lot. Well, I guess let me kind of slow down a little bit and try and bring yeah. this episode full circle because we've started off by giving the listeners a little bit of a view into you as a person and what your upbringing was like. And then we transition into the bulk of what it is that drives you these days and what you have done to get to where you are currently. But I want to ask you what's next. What are, yeah. what are the goals for you? What is um, the goal for next year? What are the goals for the next five or 10 years, whatever it is that you're striving for, however far it is you look into the future what is it for you? And, and maybe that'll resonate with someone listening. to this. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, you know, I started this company three and a half years ago. I had a terrible year with COVID. Uh, you know, we had next to no work. But since then, it's taken off. It's doubled every year in size. Uh, we have a team now. We have clients about coming up to 30 clients uh, around the world. So it's been even more successful than I want. So a lot of people say to me, are you going to continue that growth? Right. That is not actually my goal. My goal was always about fun and learning right i set this up as a vehicle for myself yeah i wanted to be comfortable in doing that and earn enough money but it was about continuing to learn so that is my ambition right now i don't see this being a major uh, corporate but things change but you know i can see it being a team of 20 30 people around the world doing what we do helping businesses um and continue to have fun and learn so that is my ambition certainly for the next sort of five years um, because it's allowed me to do loads of other things, Vinny. I've, you know, I'm helping write a book. I do public speaking events. Um, I get invited in, uh, you know, I've, uh, to um, inspire people. I've even, I've even ended up on a advertising campaign here in the UK across billboards. So stuff I never even dreamed of all through this vehicle. So as long as I continue to have those experiences, that's really my goals for the next five years. And and yeah, who knows? Maybe it will grow into something massive, but uh, it's it's about enjoying the journey along the way. Absolutely. I, I appreciate that so much. And 
I think a lot of times people will get caught up in not necessarily what they're doing day to day and enjoying, I think it's a common phrase here, but enjoying the process, enjoying mm. the journey. And they get so caught up on the end goal that they don't even make it all the way there because they don't find comfort or find joy <clears throat> in the daily daily grind of it, I guess, to actually make it to that end goal. And so I appreciate the sentiment there that you're going to go through it and approach it every day with what you've always thought. And you want to have that fun. You want to have that engaging atmosphere. You want to live a comfortable life, but you want to do so in something that motivates you and inspires you every day. I think that's a good sentiment to share with the listeners. Spot on. Well, Ferris, I appreciate it so much. Where can people find out more about you and your work? If after listening to the podcast, they want to reach out, I'll tag all of your links to the blog, yeah. to your LinkedIn, et cetera, uh, yeah. in the show comments, um, show description. But give us a quick shout out as to where people can go if they want to learn more about you. Yeah, come and visit the website, sheerghetto.com. Um, or come and find me on LinkedIn. That's where I spend a disproportionate amount of my time. But uh, uh, look for Farah Saranki, um, and we'll carry on the conversation. Um, and, uh, you know, I will be over in the U.S. later this year, uh, so maybe we can even meet in person. But, yeah, connect with me virtually, and it all starts with a conversation, Vinny. All right. Well, Thank you for listening, everyone. As always, if you want to find out more about Ferris and I's conversation, go take a look at the feature story on our host website, www.vinnyhale.com. Don't forget to follow him on Instagram at Vinny underscore Hale 7 I will see you in the next Let's one. Let's go. Thanks, everyone. Yeah. I'm like an addict. Do I gotta have it? I ain't even playing. Got a really bad habit. If it moves, gotta grab it. Fuse like a magnet. Lose won't have it till I'm doomed in a cat.